This is Big Red Potion. By the Unified Gamers Network, game reviews, and a whole lot of caffeinated drinks, you're listening to Big Red Potion, a podcast that knows the cake isn't a lie because it's eaten it or et it. I'm not even sure the past tense of that word anymore. Anyway, I'm your pre ordained host, Sinan Kuba, editorial and features director for the game reviews, all round nice guy. Uh, somewhere in a small country called America, there's a previews director called Joseph Delia. Uh, he's the man who puts the ham into Batman Arkham Asylum, and uh, he <laughs> is in a car in a car park this week is that right i am i'm mooching free wi-fi off of a panera bread for this podcast it's dedication like that that makes me the champion you see i don't think you're dedicated to the show i think you're dedicated to our guest because i think you might be his number one fanboy which i will, will possibly i don't know if i should reveal that on the show just before he, we introduce him and he's and completely scare him but uh anyway uh let, let's introduce the other guest first he's the man who is so special that he actually doesn't need to be described as special he is uh regular superstar jeffrey matleff uh and now on to the uh the second guest who is not david cage but he has been making joe just as tingly as that man would uh he is in fact the man the legend behind the joystick podcast as well as being the site reviews director it could only be justin mcelroy uh justin how excited are you to meet your number one fan which which one of you is it again Hi, Justin. <laughs> and as we all know, my number one fan is me, and we've been intimate for quite some time. I actually, uh, your, your guys' show was the first podcast I'd ever listened to, so I don't think I would be on this show today without you guys. So that's why I'm your number one fan. I'm moved. I'm, I can I, tell by the silence. I appreciate the, the vote of confidence in us. Sure. I'm uh, sorry. This whole thing just got me. The whole the whole thing. I'm overwhelmed. Let me sit down, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. Oh, I didn't realize you. that I didn't realize that uh, the podcast would have British people in it. It seems a lot more prestigious now. Oh, thank you, uh, yeah. everyone. Yeah, that's the illusion of the British accent. I think uh, yeah. it just it seems that way, but it, it really isn't. I kind of wanted to keep that moment going, but we should probably get on with the show. So uh, we are talking about reviews today. It's the first part of our two part on reviews, and uh, let's ask Justin first question. Uh, which is kind of sounds simple, probably isn't that simple actually to say. So, Justin, what purpose does a video game review serve? As and that's you know, speaking as the re- reviews editor of a of a big site, what, what purpose do you think it serves for your audience? This used to be a lot easier for me because I uh, I used to say the answer to this was just buy it or not buy it. Actually, our at the, our inception of our reviews, uh, the scale I wanted to go with was a monetary scale. Which is to say the the price at which you should purchase this game. Now, really great games would be sixty dollars, obviously, and really junky ones, you know, five to ten. So I used to think that reviews were were just that. Now I tend to think that um, it's still whether or not um you should buy the game or play the game at the very least. Um, but I think a lot of it is trying to justify that position um i i try not to get too uh self-aggrandizing and think that you know by my critiquing of a game's faults and strengths that i'm somehow making the industry as a whole better um but i i try to just you know make the best recommendation i can based on the information i have about the reader which is which is nothing do you, do, you, do you come at them completely subjective? Because you mentioned the reader there, and obviously, like you said, you, you can't know who's reading it. So do you try to consider all all potential readers, or do you just go in sort of thinking, this is what I think, and uh, I guess I like it, so you might like it? Well, I, I think that my my reviews, I, I what I try to do specifically is, by writing a review, I'm trying to predict the kind of experience that the reader will have with said game. So I guess with my reviews, I try to tell the story of my experience with the game. Um, because I feel like being honest about my experience with the game is the best way to kind of predict, um, you know, what, what kind of experience the reader's going to have. That's where I normally come at it from. Um, I agree with the latter part of what Justin said about it 
it being a, a good encapsulation of your experience. Um, I'm not. I kind of disagree about the, the price thing, but it sounds like you've sort of had second thoughts about that as well, and that's a, a topic we'll probably get to later in the, the cast. I feel like there's a near infinite number of ways that one could approach a review. I mean, you could look at it as a buyer's guide or just a list of information, but it it always kind of irks me when reviewers try to be, you know, quote unquote objective because everyone's going to have a different experience. Everyone has different tastes. So I think the best way of, I mean, I think the only real good way for someone to decide if they want to buy something or not is to read multiple reviews. I don't think one review could ever do, you know, do any game justice, no matter how good the review is. But if, uh, you know, if there's enough good writers out there, and I, I think a lot of it comes down to the audience being familiar with the writers, or even if they're not, if the writer just does a very good job at stating where they're coming from and kind of explaining their bias and maybe things that might turn a person off because, every, you know, everyone is going to have different tastes in the first place. So... I, I think it's very important to communicate your experience and kind of why why you had that experience. And if that comes across well, then the person can make a decision of whether or not that game will, will be for them. And if, you know, the bottom line is going to be if it's worth buying or buying later um, or renting and that sort of thing. Uh, just because, uh, you know, Jeffrey said they're familiar with your readers. I mean, obviously... Joystick has a, has a huge sort of user base of, of readers and listeners to your podcast. Uh, and you've got a very kind of clear standpoint on, on reviews and how you deal with review companies there. Do you kind of feel that that means you've built a, a good relationship with your with your listeners or readers, or, or do you still get kind of complaints about reviews? Uh, we're still relatively new in the in the game, in the in the reviews game. I mean, we've had reviews in the past, but as far as having sort of a kind of coherent review program... Um, I don't think we. I, I think that that relationship between us and reader is still still sort of still sort of congealing. I think some people would still prefer that we have scores, right. um, which a lot of people uh, would would prefer that. Some people like it. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the the one thing that our reader, some of our readers don't seem to get, but the ones that do, I think appreciate it is that we never. I, I never want our reviews to be a. Uh, sort of a laundry list of things that are in the game. Here are the things that are in the game. It, my, the, Where I come at it from is if something doesn't stick with me enough to mention it in the review, then it's probably not important enough to, to talk about. So there are sections of a game that I'll ignore if they don't, you know, if they don't stick out to me. Um, so, I, you know, I don't try to... And I, and I think that that's something that readers... I won't say actively dislike, but maybe kind of are still getting used to i mean i i think with game reviews a lot of people kind of a lot of people kind of have their mind made up before the game even comes out whether or not this is going to be something that they want and i think reviews tend to kind of just either justify that or you know get the person to reconsider what they were thinking um i when i try and do a review as justin said i don't really like to do a, a laundry list of things um just because i think i mean i personally don't like to know that much about games before they come out so i kind of put that into my writing that you know i don't really want to give away too much i'd like to keep most of the mechanics under wraps as far as you know i want the player to kind of experience things the way i did just walking into a game not knowing what to expect so with a review i kind of just try to pick like the best features of the game and say hey this is really cool you should try this and i think that a lot of gamers just really need that justification to see someone else say hey yeah this is real cool you're gonna like it a lot if you play this so you know or this part of it doesn't really work so you're gonna have to kind of rough it to get through that to to enjoy the game um, so that's kind of what the way I approach game reviews. Hmm. I mean, you mentioned at the top, Justin, about you know the price thing. I mean, the kind of the I've never seen that on any side, but I have seen the whole buy it, rent it, sell it thing, sure. which is is kind of similar. I mean, I, I quite like that in some ways in replacement of a score, but I and I, I think sometimes for me that that's because I think it represents a better purpose than a score because I think a score is too comparative, whereas a the buy it, rent it, sell it thing just says. Look, this is what you should do in relation to the game. The problem with that is you. you it, it, the problem with the the money scale is that it becomes it, it becomes sort of comparative on the other end because sixty dollars to me 
may not be $60 to one of my readers. So the value of, you know, how much, you know, there are some games that I would not spend $60 on that I know people who have lots of money may not, uh, may not care to. So money, the money scale becomes kind of, I think that's where it kind of fell apart for us. Mm. It's kind of funny. So we were talking last year about the whole worth of games and how like something like, say like um, Mirror's Edge for me, I'd, would have probably paid twenty dollars, ten, fifteen pounds for that. But a friend of mine who just got sucked into the time trials, he'd have paid eighty or ninety. And I guess that that is a good sort of weighty argument for why that scale in particular is a bit, bit broken, really, for for video game reviews. All right, but that's the problem, right? Like a, a game that's a six that you're moderately interested in, if it's five bucks or ten bucks, maybe that's a purchase for you. I mean, maybe that's worth five or ten dollars to you to to. You know, to to check that out, but hopefully you can aggregate that information on your own and make those kinds of decisions. I guess. Right. I guess the thing is, I, I don't know if I have even told you about this, but I came out when we were organising the show. I I pretty much think I've come out with the purpose of abolishing the review score, which is a, a, a sort of campaign which I don't think is going to really happen from this podcast. But it's just I've been feeling that thinking about the last week or so, and after you know we knew that you were coming on the show, looking into. You know how joystick reviews and we're getting started on our reviews, and I, I just I've started to get into the impression. I don't know what Jeffrey Joe think of this as well. That review scores are essentially the cause of all evil in reviews. Yeah, I've I've never been that big a fan of them. I mean, admittedly, the reason people like them is because it's a real easy way to just quickly glance at the page and get an idea of what it means. But everyone's review scale is different. I mean, a 7 at Eurogamer means a very different thing than a 7 at IGN. And even, you know, 7 at the same site could mean something different depending on the particular reviewer. So it just, it invites all kinds of stupid arguments, you know, it's a, you know, this game's not as good as Halo then, or that kind of, that kind of thing. And... The, the way that I usually do it, if I'm in a hurry and don't have time to read a full review, is I'll just read the last paragraph, and then later I'll go back and read the full review. But, yeah, numbers just uh, don't hint at the depth of what's in the review. And, and sometimes the, the reasons that critics will have for, for panning a game may be very, very different than than your reasons. Uh, for example, I remember uh, an IGN review, Dead Space, and one of their criticisms was that you could not keep all the items that you got and then use it for a new game plus on a harder difficulty and to me that sounded like a, a good decision because otherwise you could just cheat and you know make it so the hardest difficulty wasn't that hard by grinding on the earlier ones and right. like I was a fan of that but uh, the particular person reviewing it felt like they wanted it to be like other games and it didn't have that feature and that was the reason it docked the score and that that just did not compute with me. So looking at the, when I actually read the review, I'm like, okay, I'd probably give it a higher score than that. Although in that particular game, I, I wouldn't have for other reasons, but you get the idea. Well, the uh, thing is, like, it's hard to compare, like, a number to what you actually feel about a game. Like, how can you tell the difference between an 8.3 and an 8.6? I mean, there's no, like... It's really only there so that people can argue on the internet that Halo 2 got a better score than Resistance did or something like that. I can and, be convinced yeah. on a good day that 1 to 10 is okay, but yeah, I'm with you. When you start getting into like tenths of a point, like yeah. uh, on a scale of 1 to 100, if you can sit down and tell – I mean that's a gut call more than anything. I mean if you can sit down and tell me the difference between an 85 and an 86, I'd love to hear it. And yeah. honestly, even with a 10-point scale, like once you get below 6, everything is just kind of a useless – useless points. I mean, no one really uses like 1 through 5 well when it comes to game reviews. It's all basically the 6, 7s, <laughs> and 8s that actually get used, so there's really no point even having those numbers. I think of all the sites that actually use scores, I think Giant Bomb probably does it the best because they keep things very simple. Well, that's a, that's like the, that's a great point because I mean, if you, if you have a 1 to 10 score, then you have to say like that there is some difference between a 1 and a 2. Like you, who who looks at a two and thinks, "Oh, maybe I don't know." I'm checking out. Like no, nobody does. A two is the same as a one. Is the same as a three. If you see those scores, like oh, oh my, I can't play that. See, I've, I've, there's a British magazine called uh, Games TM, and they they claim their claim is that they use the whole scale from one to ten, 
and they're very insistent on that. And in some respects, they do, but they completely play into what you're saying, Justin. Like, it, if if a game's poor, it's one, two, three, or four, and you can't tell the difference. If it's okay, it's five. If it's good, it could be anything between six and eight. If it and it, it's it's for me, that's fine. Except it that you could just say bad, okay, good. But I I think their scale could be shortened to that, and and that I think is almost like at that stage, what is what is the point? Yeah. And I, there is there is none. You got me. I, mean, I don't use scores, man. I don't know. <laughs> what, what, what was your decision behind not using scores and a joystick? Um, I, I think because of what you were talking about, where the scores are so subjective, right? But if if um, if we are are going to, but if we write our thoughts on a game, you, you know, we tell the story of our experience with the game, then you don't need a score and you don't need a frame of reference. If you're right. curious, you can read it. I, part of that edict, though, is that we try to keep our uh, reviews as readable as possible. I mean, you look at some of these, some of the reviews that, I mean, I don't want to point any fingers at, at IGN. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn, <laughs> I messed it up. But um, you look at some of those reviews, I mean, five, six pages of reviews mm. to read yeah. through. Like, I mean, we, we would never do that to people. Right. And it's always, most of it's just telling the story of, the, you know, just completely filling in the whole storyline for you, how every single control, and that's just right. pointless. Um, right, you get into a lot of bad writing that way too, because you know when you're trying to write about something that's not worth writing about, I don't think the the result is ever particularly interesting. How has how dropping a score? I mean, I, I don't want to ask too much if you can't say too much, but how has dropping a score affected your relationship with publishers? Oh, um, I think that definitely we. I've I've heard from some publishers that we uh, that they would be maybe not more inclined to send us code, but I think we would get more attention if we did, because you can't get it, because the big thing is Metacritic, right? And you can't get into Metacritic uh, without scores. So, I mean, and we we are taking a, I mean, make no mistake, like, we do take a traffic hit from not having scores because we, sure. we don't get into Metacritic. So, I mean, it wasn't an easy decision, but uh, I, I I think personally that we would probably have an easier time. I wouldn't have to fight so much to track down review code all the time if our scores were included in Metacritic. That's what I think. Has there been any positive sort of feedback from publishers at all? Have there been anyone who said, you know, we really like the fact that you're dropping scores and that it puts the pressure off us? Well, what it does for us is it kind of makes it a, a non-issue. Um, you know, like it, it turns it into a, a, us into sort of a non-entity. Which, like I said, is bad sometimes, but in, in another way, it saves us from a lot of politicking. Um, it keeps us from having to explain to angry publishers or, or justify our score to angry developers and publishers and things like that, um, because we don't have a score. So it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't hurt their bottom line nearly as much. But yes, I know that they read I'm... it and 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 enjoy it sometimes. I mean, I, I know I know that. Uh, some developers and publishers, you know, enjoy reading our reviews, but it kind of makes us something they don't have to worry about since we know the scores. Well, it's like, I mean, I think your Mad Dog McCree review kind of showed that off because that's a game that you really can't review using the traditional score system now because what the hell do you give that game? But, I mean, if you explain to someone, hey, you know, if you kind of like these kind of things, this is probably much exactly what you want. Um, right. If you have to give it a solid number, you can't say, well... You know, I give it a five, which I also gave this 3D action platformer that came out or something. It doesn't make any sense. And that's what right. I think Sinan and I were actually talking about that the other day. How do you rate, like, an older game? Like, can you really compare or give it a score that would compare to something like Red Faction Guerrilla or something like that, like Mario 64 and stuff like that? I mean, it's hard to actually put a number on those games when there's so many factors that go against giving those games a solid rating. Right. Yeah, it's all, it's lazy. It's shorthand. It's right. all it is. Because I, I was playing uh, Secret of Monkey Island, the, the special edition recently, and I've actually seen that game get reviewed, which I, I mean, you know, okay, I guess, but then assigned scores, which is, I just think, abominable, considering at the end of the day, it's just a, you know, remastery. It's it's the same game as we all played 20 years ago, and I, I that to me, that when, when a video game, I think actually in that point, for me, that's a pointless video game review, and yet I've seen maybe 30 or 40 places do it, and I don't know if, if I'm putting my foot in my mouth if Joystick did do a review, but but 
No, no, we didn't. For that exact reason, right? It's like, it doesn't matter what you think at this point of Secret of Monkey Island. That ship has sailed. It has stood the test of time. If you don't like it, you are clearly wrong. Like, you are clearly in error if you don't enjoy the game. It is a lose-lose situation. Wipe my brow. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, I mean, this our side, the side of me, Jeff, and Joe work, we do we do assign scores. We assign them on a, I think, on a 20-point scale, really, guys, don't we? It's... it's we use point five. Yeah. Uh, I, I tend to not. I tend to go with tens. And uh, for me, if I if I had to choose any scale of reviewing, I'd choose one ups at the moment. Well, mm. I mean, it's it's kind of like I, again, me and Stan were talking about this the other day, like how you know the, the difference in text to score can sometimes be pretty great. I mean, uh, Stan, you want to talk about the, I think it was a one up thing that you were mentioning the other day. Oh yeah, because. Uh, I was listening to Listen Up, the, the new version of One Up Yours, and they did 40 minutes on Alice Lang uh, having to explain why she gave her Little King story a B-. And, you know, I just think at that stage... The, the actual discussion was really interesting, except it was centering around a score. And I just think... I think this is what's good about podcasts, is the best thing about podcasts, is that you, just, you discuss games and there's no... It's the first time I've really seen games get discussed by the mainstream without, like, a real focus or goal or objective. You know, even like magazines, there's a, there's a retrospective or there's a feature and there's some kind of angle. But just with podcasts, you just discuss games. And that's why I, I, that's why I got into podcasts, to be honest. Well, you, you think about a traditional, the traditional review, um, you know, as we've come to understand them, originates in, in newspapers. And the, the reason that you have the limitations on those is because there's a size limitation, obviously. Um, you have to make your review fit into a certain number of inches. Um, and even when you, when that migrated to radio, then you had to fill a certain number of seconds. So your your review was necessarily by, by sort of inherently condensed. Um, but I am of the opinion that listening to someone talk on a podcast about a game in a natural, not like a pre-prepared way, but just the you know, talking about their feelings on a game is infinitely more uh, helpful than than reading a review in 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 the sense of like really sussing out how the person feels and and, and getting a real sense of their enthusiasm for it. Well, I mean, like, what is a review? Basically, it's it's written word of mouth. So, I mean, and it's, as you said, it's within this predefined, like, boundary that you have to stay within. So, but having this open discussion, basically, I mean, a lot of, you know, when I was a kid and everything, I didn't really know that many other people around me that were gamers. So I had very limited interaction with this kind of talk. But, like, now the fact that you could basically put a conversation online that's just two guys talking about how much they like this great game, it kind of gets the word of mouth out in a way that you could never do before. And I guess, I mean, that's the whole internet pretty much, but... Um, I think the way that honestly, the way it is now, most of the time when I get interested in a game that I hadn't previously heard about, it's more from a podcast than it is from a written review or from a preview article or anything, because that just seems to be outdated at this point. I might disagree with that, actually. I mean, I, I think that podcasts are good for that sort of thing, but I still do generally get interested through, through written reviews, but only you know a few specific sites. And... Well, I, an example of a really great review that I read this year, probably the, the best review I've read all year, was a case that McDonald had a review for Demon's Souls at Eurogamer. And it was the first time that I'd heard of the game. And it was such a good review that I, I looked up a little bit more information on the game just to make sure I wasn't being too uh, impulsive. But then I ended up importing the game. I spent, you know, 71 bucks to buy this game. Whoa. <laughs> based on this review. And... Wow. That's a good and, review. <laughs> and these are all things that would usually not interest me, but the review is so well written that she maybe understand why this game, you know, why these decisions worked in this game when they usually irk me in other games. So I think that a lot of of uh, a good review comes down to convincing someone that your opinion maybe isn't. I don't want to use the words like right or wrong because I. I feel it's too subjective for that, but giving people a new way of, of looking at a game, a new way of appreciating the game that you wouldn't get if you just read the, you know, the facts, like what the game, you know, if you just read what was in the game, hmm. uh, what type of game it was, I wouldn't be very interested. The same thing happened with uh, 
um, Persona 3, another genre of gaming I wasn't that into, where Rob Fahey, uh, also a Eurogamer, wrote a, an excellent review that made me think, well, maybe I'll give the genre another shot with this game, because he, he did such a great job at convincing me that there were other aspects of that game that I'd find interesting. So well, you're, you're kind of saying that it's just it, having someone else's opinion just basically gave you a different perspective from your own, and that's as simple as it gets, so that, that the review that in those cases just gave you a bit more information, which I, I guess kind of gets back to what the fundamentals of a, of, of a review are, and I, I guess that's what your argument is. You know, not to pimp out the sight of one of our guests too much, but I think the fact that so much information is out there now, so much more than ever before, you know, gaming magazines really could only give a certain amount of information out there, but like the, you know, the joysticks of the world, that kind of thing, they kind of, they offer so much information about games that, as I kind of said earlier in the show, I think people kind of have their mind made up in most cases before the game even comes out. I mean, I would tend to agree. Yeah, and you see so much, it, like, you, like Killzone 2 had three years of hype. I don't think anything of that game was kept under wraps by the you know until the day that the game came out Every, everything was known at that point so you pretty much had your mind made up if you were buying that game or not like and with me like i really had no interest in shadow complex so i started seeing some of the com- the coverage on it and i mean I, this episode won't go up until after the embargo's up so i will say that the game is absolutely fantastic and i think that the continuing coverage that it's going to get is going to convince a lot of people to pick it up um anyone at least that was interested from what has been released so far uh, I've completely lost my train of thought. I was going to say something like, uh, uh, I don't know what I was going to say. So, <laughs> so if someone else wants to make yeah. a point following that, and I'll just try and get my thoughts back together. Uh, I, I think that's one of the one of the important things to keep in mind, or at least sort of what I was um, trying to get at before, is that you don't. There's little benefit to reviewing a the ones and zeros and various components that make up a game. I mean, it's much a review, I think, should be much more about what, what the person's really buying is the experience that they're going to have with it. I mean, it doesn't, the, these insulated fragments of a game aren't really what make up your purchasing decision. I think it's, it, a good review should hit on what sort of experience you're going to have while you're playing. Right. Um, so I, I remembered what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, thank Assassin, God. Assassin's Creed. <laughs> Assassin's Creed. Because you, you're saying there about you know making that purchasing decision. I the first review I saw was a nine from Gamespot, which you know all those early. Uh, I'm not going to make any accusations that I can't back up, but you know there were all those early reviews which were suspiciously high, and uh, then we got all the retributional reviews which were really really low. And I still wanted to buy the game despite those really, really low retributional reviews. Like you're saying, Joe, just because I made my decision about two months ago, I'm going to play Assassin's Creed. I love, I lo- I love right. the way it looks. I have to play Assassin's Creed. Right. Uh, but there were, for me, that goes back to what you're kind of saying, Justin. It just to have that there was interesting. And it, it, it actually, as much as that game was really, really hyped, it was all those conflicting reviews which made the game that much more exciting for me to play just to kind of see where I stood on that line. And I don't know if that's the point of a review but that's that's how it worked for that game in any case assassin's creed because i that was a game that i was really excited for and then i saw the kind of mixed reviews so i decided to rent it instead well i mean that's one of the things that's tough about reviews is that like everyone kind of has a tilt in them towards a certain type of game like if you release crazy taxi 3 on xbox live arcade right now i would give it a 10 because i love crazy taxi you would give it 11 shush you'd give it 12 you that's that's really not important at this point, but <laughs> the thing is, like, everyone kind of has a certain tilt. Like, if you gave me a Madden game for review, I would hate it because I'm not a football fan, so I wouldn't be able to do anything with the, the title. But, like, I think it's hard to really get a point across. Like, as Jeff said, he wasn't really into Assassin's Creed, whereas I thought it was pretty cool. So, mm. you know, it just everyone has kind of predestined to like a certain type of thing and, and not like a certain type of thing. And it's really hard to get that out in review to say, well, in the past, I've liked this kind of stuff. So I'm, if you are kind of agree with me in that, then you'll like this game. But if you don't like this kind of stuff, I mean, it's, it's tough because every single gamer out there has different tastes. And how do you really relay your point to all of those different people at once? Justin, what's your policy on uh, handing out reviews to people who are okay with the genre or, the, or with the game in question or may have a tilt towards it? Uh, Justin stepped away. He just <laughs> stepped away. Here, sorry. Okay. I, had, I had muted to take a sip of, of my beverage because I didn't want to. <laughs> I completely forgot. No, um, I, I, 
Yeah, no, no Fenix. Um, okay. Yeah, although that might happen, and I will. Leave. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I, I typically tr- we have enough video game fans um, on staff that we can find um, a person who is at least enthusiastic about the the genre. I, I feel like I, I know I, again. Objectivity when it comes to reviews is really a myth. I try to. I think you could be objective when it comes to news. But I don't think you can be objective when it comes to reviews. I, so I try to find someone who would at least be inclined enough to ask me about reviewing the game. Because if they have zero interest in the genre, then that's not the buying audience anyway. I mean, right. if that's how you feel, you're you don't care. You're not going to be looking into this product. Um, okay. I think sometimes it, it it's an interesting juxtaposition to hear from people who who don't. Um, you know, who aren't a fan of a genre reviewing a game, but if it's going to be the review from a site that has a unified voice like ours, um, then I think it should be someone who at least is, you know, inclined to, to like a genre. BGN offers a little something for everyone, from the serious analysis of Big Red Potion to the fun but well-informed GamerDork UK. Frugal Gaming will bring you gaming bargains to help keep your hobby alive, whilst Ninja Fat Pigeons offers one of the best and friendliest communities on the internet. And if you're one of us mature gamers, find like-minded comment with thegamerscene.com. www.unifiedgamersnetwork.com I mean, the other question that comes to mind is interesting. I think you're probably one of the few people, few companies, uh, press people out there who you know don't give scores. Try, probably don't really give too much of a damn what the publishers are saying. Uh, so when that when it comes to being punctual with your review, putting it up, you know, within days of the, of the game being released or before it or whatever, and having to play it, you know, within that you know within a space of time. I mean, is that something your team has to put up with, or, or with your kind of outlook is that not really an issue. Oh no, it's definitely that's a huge issue for us. There have been um, several games where we have gotten it, but we've gotten it too late to review it. Um, I feel like there should be uh, at least, you know, as close as possible to the release date. Um, if not, when the embargo lifts, sometimes games just don't get sent out to us. Um, so, and again, I think this is because we're just, you know, relatively new in the reviews business, and because we um, don't have scores. Maybe I don't know. Maybe uh, <laughs> sometimes we don't get games until like you got to imagine if a game is sent out when the other retail code is sent out, like to your GameStop or whatever, then that gets to me, you know, probably a couple of days after that, and if I receive it on the day the game comes out then it's going to be really hard for me to play through the whole game and, uh, you know, form some sort of coherent opinion and write it on on that same day with without it being too long after. Um, so, that, that yeah, it's a big concern for us. Because I hear, all the, you know, when, when I've heard this discussion from, from other outlets, there's always that's that outlook of saying, yeah, you know, we, we just try to spend as much time playing it before we put the review up. And I think that's kind of... That that's there are cracks that they don't want to go into when they're saying that because I, I just find even with us at the game reviews we don't really have too much pressure time wise we're not a huge site uh, but I don't think I play games naturally when I review them I don't know whether Joe and Jeffrey would agree do you, do you guys feel like you play games naturally when you review them not usually to be honest I mean because usually when I get a game into review there's already a game that I'm in the middle of playing so. It, it feels like more of a chore to have to switch gears. But I try not to think about that. I mean, it, but it's still in the back of my mind. But, you know, if the game is good, I'll enjoy it anyway. I mean, I that happened to me when, uh, you know, I was sent Prototype, and I was honestly not really looking forward to playing it that much. I think I was in the middle of playing Demon's Souls at the time. And I started playing, I'm like, you know, this is really fun. And I ended up being excited to, to come home and play it the next day. So... 
you know, a good game can overcome that, but there's still going to be a little bit of, of a bias just knowing that this is something you have to do for work. Well, yeah, thing, well, like, oh, sorry. Like I just, like I just, uh, well, I was just going to to admit that I, I think that we've we've gotten into situations for, at least I, not speaking for the site, I have personally where I did a review for Fallout 3. Um, and small, a small game, that one. Quite yeah, sure. a tiny game. No, I, I played Fallout 3 all the way to the end, and I wrote my review of it. But I, I did get Fallout maybe four or five days before the embargo lifted. So I've actually gone back to Fallout. And and over the past few days, I've probably put another 20 hours into it over the past week oh. or so. And I really, I mean, and that's not including any DLC, and I really do wonder if... I would have if if I had spent twice as much time with the game if my review had been different. Because when I play, my favorite game of all time is Oblivion, and when I played Oblivion, there was no time crunch on me. I was free to explore and do everything, and I loved it. And I and I I wonder if if I had had that same luxury with Fallout Three, if I wouldn't have enjoyed it, maybe a little bit more. I don't I don't know. It, it's hard to say. And, and again, the, a lot of that second guessing goes on when you're under a, a time crunch. Uh, like we are. I was going to add, if there's a game I'm really looking forward to, I won't want to review it for that reason. I don't want to, like, I'm not going to review Brutal Legend because I want to take my time with that. And it's it's going to be my game. I'm going to leave it separate from work. So. Well, the problem, like, the problem with all that is, like, I, of course, it's perfectly understandable when you know, we get sent copies five days before they come out and they say, oh, you guys can take care of this. Get that review up as soon as possible. But, like, it's not really, it's hard to kind of, uh, represent how a regular gamer is going to be playing through this thing when you're powering through a game as quickly as you can to get it done. And like I'm, I'm doing it with Shadow Complex right now. I want to explore every little room in that game, but I'm kind of just blowing through it so that I can get this review in time and get everything done. And it's, it's. I don't really know if I'm playing it the way that you know John Q. Public would be playing it because no one would be trying to blow through this game as quickly as I am. And it's, it's going to be rough. Like when I actually write the review, like trying to explain how the game would actually play to a regular person when you know who didn't have it early and didn't have a time constraint on it that uh, you know to make it representative of what the game is like to play and it, it's kind of it's kind of rough Justin, i want to ask you one thing uh like for a game like fallout that is that big and stuff like what how much of the game do you actually think has to be finished before you can actually do a review of it because fallout itself has a main quest like 15 hours long or whatever but there's so much else to that game you know that it, that represents the entire thing of it, and a lot of sites have gotten in trouble in the past. Who you know didn't, either didn't finish a really long game, reviewed it, or didn't do that much of it, and then came under fire when that review came out. What do you think is like a, a good representation of a game uh, enough anyway to write a review about it? Gosh, it's so hard to say. I mean, my our policy has used to be that you had to finish it, you had to solve that game tape. Um, but I don't – we did a review of Little King's Story, and the reviewer who played it um, played it for 10 hours, and it's probably a 30-hour game by his approximation. Or, I mean, not a 30-hour game. You could theoretically play it for 30 hours. But after playing it for 10 hours, he felt like he had a really good sense of you know, the game. And so in the review, he says, I played the game for this long. I think that the important thing is that you be forthcoming. Um, when I, I, I've done a couple of reviews where I've quit the game mid midstream and uh, spitefully <laughs> quit it, and I call those joystick quitters. And I say I quit the game after this much because I couldn't because of this, this, and this. This is the reason why I quit the game. Um, and I mean, you can get yourself into tr- tricky situations, but. Again, I, I mean, honestly, don't you usually know, like, uh, if we're being honest, like, super honest, like, don't you know after two hours if a game's going to get you or not? Like, don't you know? I, I mean, we would never play a game for two hours, especially not like a 20-hour game for two hours and say, okay, well, this is what it's like. But like, I feel like I have a pretty good idea after two hours where how I'm going to feel um, about a game. I, I would totally agree. I mean, the immediate example that comes to mind is Conflict Denied Ops, which I, I reviewed my own blog 
just I don't know why because that's you know no one told me to do that I told myself to do that which is just stupid because it's one of the worst games I've ever played and I knew after 30 minutes that that was the case and nothing afterwards changed my mind but at the same time say a game like Braid I think you're missing so much if you don't play that to its end I think you're not you're not getting the whole picture that's, so yeah. I can see both sides of the argument yeah I disagree with uh, the two hour thing for me it's more I'd say at least six to eight hours. I mean, I'm thinking one of my favorite games of all time was Zelda Twilight Princess. That game is not very good for the first two hours. And then it gets much, much better. Then it gets even better once you, you know, get um, the ability to to go almost anywhere at like 18 hours in. But, I mean, that is definitely a slow burn burn game. I think that's a problem, though. Uh, If a game takes 18 hours to get started, then I don't want to play that game. Well, I, I'm not saying it takes 18 hours to get started. Like, it was still fun. But it does take, I'd say, you know, two hours to get started. But it's a 50-hour game. So, you know, if it took two hours and it's a 10-hour game, that would be a bigger problem. But for how big that game is, I was willing to put up with that. Um, conversely, we, we brought up Assassin's Creed earlier. That was a game that I thought was great for the first three or so hours. <laughs> Until it, it repeated itself for the next <laughs> ten. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I think... Which which game? Sorry. Oh, uh, Assassin's Creed. Oh, that was good the whole time. You guys are pot high. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Actually, that's an interesting one to bring up. I remember uh, um, Tycho from Penny Arcade had a, a post about that, how he, he started playing it and he really liked it, and then he started hearing all the, the bad... You know, people turned on it. So he was determined to kind of go back and see what, you know, what made people not like it so much. He was determined to play the game a lot. So he played it a lot, tried doing all the side quests, and just got really sick of it. And then he he realized if he just took his time with it and didn't play it under any time constraint, just kind of played it whenever, then he liked it a lot more. So that, you know, that might just be an example of a little Assassin's Creed goes a long way. And, you know, I rented the game, so I was kind of forced to play it in a five-day crunch before I could return to the video store. I was going to say, I think that there's, like, a there's a certain limit that you have to reach. Like, I mean, Mass Effect and uh, Fallout 3 are both very... They kind of have slow starts. And... But within, like, the first, you know, hour or so, you can see a glimpse of something great in those games. I think that that's, like, the whole point. Like, if you could play a game for 20 minutes and there's something in there that's saying, you know what, this could be really great if I keep playing it, then you can know. But, like, I think the first uh, joystick quitter you did, Justin, was for Velvet Assassin. And I actually played through that uh, all the way through for review. You poor bastard. I I, I was just going to say, it did not get any better. There was never a point in that game where it turned around and became awesome. And they're like, yeah, great way to play it. No, it was actually a piece of shit from beginning to end. That's so, how you know you're a pro. It's when you can tell a game's going to be horse shit two hours in. Right. That's how you, so, that's how you like, really honed your craft. <laughs> so, like, that's the thing. Like, I mean, you know, you kind of get this idea. And if you if you know games, you'll know pretty much right away if the game is going to be bad or good. I played two hours of Twilight Princess. And that two hours gave me a good enough idea to stick it back in the case and put it on the shelf forever. Um, Give it another two. That's all I'm I, saying. If I, after I, four I, you don't like it, fair enough. But then I'm wait. Done. If after four you don't like it, wait fourteen more, and then <laughs> it's really gonna take off. Go make in. yourself some dinner. Some dinner. Just chill on it a little bit. Return. Do another few hours. Uh, I don't know. I, I've got a compromise. To, to, two compromises to close on. On on playing a game uh, for review and and scores. So on playing a game, I go with Justin. I think you should end the game, even if you do have that kind of inkling after what 10 hours but you should be forthcoming like he says so you should say at two hours i wanted to quit it but like an idiot i carried on that would be my compromise and the other one with scores is i think there are a few sites on metacritic which don't actually put a score by their review but they isn't it metacritic provides them with the score which i think is bullshit but i think if everyone did that then that would at least solve half the problem with scores mm. because then you could blame metacritic for all the problems which but everyone then, does see, anyway. here's here uh, here's the thing with that though with if you do that with Metacritic, then you have to give Metacritic a bunch of reviews. Because uh, I looked into that, um, you have to give Metacritic a bunch of reviews with the scores that you you would give them. Like you have to impose a scoring system that you just provide Metacritic. Oh, they didn't do it for you. 
Right. I mean, they're not going to read it. I mean, they, you've got to tell them, this is what I think a 50 is, this is what I think a 60 is, this is what I think a 70 is, this is what I think an 80 is, which for me just kind of, I mean, it sort of defeats the purpose. It's putting a score on it, basically. Yeah, right. I mean, you are, yes. And now that, that you mentioned, I think I've read stories of where there are discrepancies because it's the editor who does that, isn't it? It's not the, the writer. So you sometimes right. get the editor saying, it's, it's, it's 100, whereas the writer's like, no. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't really see, I mean... Uh, that might happen at some outlets. That's never happened. Right. But usually it's the writers. The writers got to stand by that number. So the writer, um, you know, they can talk with the editor on it, but I don't think you have too many reviews going out with a, the writer of the review not too happy about, you know, the score that's on it. Cool. Well, it's actually been really kind of fascinating hearing it from, from you know, kind of the inside word and all of this because, you know, for us as it's a very, very personal thing to put in if our listeners be interested, but, you know, we're we're trying to get uh, further in this industry, we're kind of all a bit new to it, all three of us, and it's it's kind of really cool to to hear all this stuff and, and learn how it kind of works. It should be up. really disheartening, is what it should be. It's you know <laughs> what? Strangely, it's not get, in, get into books. <laughs> go go be a movie critic. They're the real art, anyway. Right. The podcast's over. Justin McEnroy told me to stop. <laughs> yeah, really. E N. And now fishing the podcast. The cast. The cast. <laughs> Your hosts. <laughs> oh, that is the most awesome name. <laughs> I know, right? That's free. Wait, wait, bad bending, bad bending. <laughs> the big red potion spin-off is created. I, I, we better close right. up because I, I, Joe's okay. gonna, Joe's gonna get arrested. I'm in yeah, I'm, <laughs> it's it's well, raining now. I'm kind of afraid of what's going on. What about uh, Paola? We're gonna talk about Paola. Oh gosh! I I actually, yeah, we should, I we, we absolutely accepted. you got some brass knucks out of it. Didn't okay. get those. Didn't get brass knuckles. Had to send them back. <laughs> EA sent me brass knuckles for Godfather 2, and I don't know. We don't keep anything. Uh, a lot of places do. That That is one thing that I would just... I guess this is different. It's it's a different discussion, the ethics and accepting um, gifts and things like that. We, we have that another time. But I will say that uh, good reviews are for sale at joystick.com. Uh, just go through <laughs> AOL. Just call them. I'll give you something good. We can work that on a personal level or whatever. Money, drugs, I don't, I don't care. I'm flexible. <laughs> Morally flexible. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, guys, thank you. That was that was really, really good. Um, we better close up, like I said, because Joe's going to be in jail soon. Um, Justin, do you want to make any sort of plugs or shout-outs? I mean, everyone knows. I'm sure most of the listeners know about Joystick. www.joystickwithaq.com um, Every Friday we do the Joystick podcast. You can find it there. Um, and... Uh, We've also got the Joystick Podcast Appreciation Group uh, on Facebook. I think they just topped 2,500 members. Wow. Uh, it's growing every day. There's a Joystick Podcast Appreciation Group podcast. Um, there's actually a Joystick Podcast Appreciation Group podcast appreciation group podcast. <laughs> um, as well as the Joystick Podcast Appreciation Group podcast Joystick, which is, uh, which is actually very, very impressive and lovely. But uh, yeah, go do all those things on the internet. Justin, if I, if I could get you to say something about one of my friends, Paul Rooney, he'll love me forever. I'll love you. <laughs> you got to give me a ballpark. What, what kind of cat? He's Scottish. He's Scottish. Ah, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> There's only um, Paul Rooney. Where do I start? Where do I start? <laughs> I, I think that Paul, if you were to make a list of all the people that are around, and you were to make a list, and there was on like every you judge them by every critique, uh, every different standard, uh, mankind ethics, uh, physical attractiveness, um, chances of propagating species with the opposite sex. Right there at the bottom of the list, there would be a name, but that name would not be Paul Rooney's because that name would have pushed Paul Rooney's off the list to the bottom, um, where it it would not even been able to make. The list of awful human beings. That's how low uh, Paul Rooney is. He's probably the worst person that there is. Now. <laughs> there are people. Of people there are, Paul Rooney's the worst. <laughs> I think that works in our See, now you're not, <laughs> not all pissed off about it. If I ever find you, Rooney, I'm going to cut your dick off and put it in your ear canal. I swear to God, better walk your back, Rooney. I'm a madman. You don't want to see my hand, my hand be at, Rooney? <laughs> 
Uh, I'm sorry, Paul. Um, <laughs> I think we should just cut the rest of the podcast off and just air that as this week's show. That would be very good. That's all it we need. 200% improved quality. Um, sure. Jeff, Jeffrey, do you want to make any plugs or shout-outs? Um, I'm, I'm terrified to say. <laughs> yeah, you guys should all check out anything written by Paul Rooney. He's <laughs> amazing human being. Um... Okay, so as always, you can find my stuff at uh, GameReviews.com and my blog at JumpingMustache.com. Excellent. Uh, Joe, any, any words? Uh, just that there's going to be some uh, Shadow Complex stuff on the Big Red Potion site next week, so you guys should all check it out. And there probably will also be a G.I. Joe review if I'm a lucky enough boy to get one. So uh, check that out, too. It should be fun. And there'll be something I can't talk about uh, until next Wednesday on the site. On Wednesday, probably, funnily enough. I think that's how this whole business works. Right. Absolutely. Okay, let's let's close it. Thanks guys. Uh we'll do the second part next week. Talk to you then. Thank you for listening to Big Red Potion, brought to you by the Game Reviews Game On Network. Check out bigredpotion.com for updates on the show and thegamereviews.com for more thoughts from the TGR crew. Big Red Potion is also proud to be part of the Unified Gamers Network, which you can now find at unifiedgamersnetwork.com. You can also find both Sinan and Joe on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Shoinan, S-H-O-I-N-A-N, and twitter.com forward slash Slam Vanderhuge, Slam, V-A-N-D-E-R-H-U-G-E. And you can also contact us at our email address, bigredpotion at gmail.com. All that's left to do is thank the man behind the theme tune, Derek K. Miller. Derek, take us out with washing off like an art mark.